So it's all been leading up to this. The big the old dramatic season finale. Season finale. Season two. Oh, our second one movies. already. Our second season finale. Featuring directors, uh, the Cohen brothers, Paul Verhoeven, and no more Paul Verhoeven. And then uh, we had Chris LaMartina uh, join us, and we had another Paul, Paul Thomas Anderson, join us for a quick film. Not like a we quick switched film. out the Pauls Long real film. quick. We had to switch out the Pauls. Got to do a quick um, Paul switch. It's like when it's like how like Jake Paul was like more popular than Logan Paul, yeah. and then Logan Paul was get like, them, "I'm gonna get them off." They get I'm no, gonna fight. They get no I'm gonna time. Fight everybody. Those they get no time on our podcast. They get no time in is our that content. Not, is that not what this show's about? They I get thought... no time, ladies and gentlemen. Before we get okay. started in season two, I just want to take the first half and just make sure that you like and subscribe. A lot of you that watch these on YouTube are not subscribed, and thank you to all of our audio listeners. We're just get that out of the way quickly and roll right into the show. So, Aaron, uh, absolutely. Uh, let's talk. So, this is um, the last Coen Brothers film that we watched for the show mm-hmm. this season, and they were my director. But you know, I have a habit of talking a lot on the show, on our movie shows, and you have a lot of history and appreciation, I believe, for this film. So, I want to. I just want to start with you. I don't want to hear about like your history with this movie yeah. and um, how you felt going into it and how it felt revisiting it. So I think I was 16 in 2007. Um, so it was like, obviously those are pretty formative years. I mean, when you're 16 and really deciding, I always enjoyed films, but I think when I first sat down to watch no country for old men and remember I watched so these are so these are the movies that I watched in this weekend where I think that made me decide that I really wanted to be a filmmaker and like work in content, work in film. I watched No Country for Old Men. I watched There Will Be Blood, which we covered last week, and I watched American Gangster. I watched those three movies. Wow. All in one weekend. Because so I was home alone. And that was like my favorite thing to do. Like I would just go and rent movies even before then. Like, you know, my mom would take take me, I'd rent a bunch of movies. And that's how I would like fill myself up in the weekend living in the middle of nowhere. Cause we live far out of town. Like I couldn't get anywhere. Can we, can we get a quick side review of American gangster? Oh, it's, man, it was probably, I mean, it's been 14 years now, so I'll do the best I can. I really enjoyed the movie. I think Denzel Washington did a perfect uh, job acting in that role. I really liked the story that they told and kind of watching him go from like top to bottom and just the whole oh. like drug running scene was pretty cool. Definitely one we're going to have to cover again and watch again because I remember really enjoying this awesome. movie. Yeah, I love that. It's so funny that you, I mean, it's just for some reason this year for me too, even though we are um, a few years apart, uh, I remember my brother, This he worked at like a CD warehouse, uh, which was like this, I don't know if it was a chain or not, but it was this store where people bought and sold used media all the time. Mm-hmm. So he would just buy, he would come home with like, DVDs, just DVDs and DVDs and DVDs. And if he didn't like it, he'd break, take it back to work and sell it. And if he did like it, he'd keep it. So the, I have a specific memory of these 2007 movies as well. And that's one that I didn't even realize was 2007, but it makes perfect sense. Cause I remember watching all of those movies in the same place in my bedroom on the same crappy DVD player. Yeah. On it's wild, man. TV, to think back, you know? Know? like even Juno came out in 2007. 
So that's why. I mean, 2007 was a good year for film. I mean, we all know that. Everybody who likes that was a really good year. But my initial reaction to No Country for Old Men, I thought it was, at that point in time, 16-year-old me, who at this point has already spent three years in, like, film production in high school, was really, like, that's when it's, like, sold the deal. But, you know, growing up in a small town... Even though I was always involved in film and film making as like a hobby and like photography and stuff, it was never really seen as something that I could be doing outside of it. It was always like, oh, it's a hobby or it's something that I'll be doing on the side. So like, you know, no offense to like my parents. I don't mean any like bad things about this. It's like they didn't like promote that. You know, it was like go to college, get a job. We talked about that in some shooting the bits. So you can go and watch those episodes of our kind of our backstories. But watching these films really, like, made me want to do this. And No Country for Old Men has stuck with me for 14 years. The way that that film, first of all, the story is out of, like, is out, like, is out of this world. The story is absolutely insane. I mean, talking about, like, Moss finding the money, and then you got Chigurh tracking him down, and then the sheriff and everybody involved and the ins and outs, and there's not that many characters. <laughs> like, when you actually, like... There's only, like, yeah, like real characters that that are that matter that are integral to the plot there is like six maybe and you have your three leads plus woody harrelson plus brolin's wife and that's pretty much it you know yeah it's crazy i mean when you look at the cast that was built for this not that high up there but i think everybody's performance was well done i mean tommy lee jones did well as the sheriff brolin as moss um bart m as sugar and just I think everybody, even down to uh, Moss's mother-in-law or the, you know, the wife's mother there when she's in that taxi cab and she's like, I don't know why we're doing this. I have, here's my pregnazone. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> she's like, then she gets to the train and she's like, well, oh, thank you somebody to help us. And I just think everybody did a well, they did a really good job acting in this movie and really propelled the story along. Uh, the story was based off of a book. Uh, which was cool that I found out. I didn't realize that. That was something I looked up after the fact. I didn't realize that until I started like researching a little more that was actually like off of a book, which is cool. I'd have to not, not only that too, but uh, a Cormac McCarthy novel that initially received like pretty mixed reviews. And I don't know, you know, I haven't read the book, so I can't speak on it, but I do think it's interesting that a lot of the praise for this film it's not surprising because it's something we noticed with all of the all of the Coen Brothers films and their writing in particular. But a lot of the praise for this film was directed at its screenplay, yeah, um, and the writing behind it. You know, um, and and something again, you know, not to cut off your analysis of the film, but something that I noticed: um, long sequences without dialogue, yeah. long tense sequences without dialogue, which I think is very integral to how this movie works, um, and a lot of fun and very interesting and it keeps you on your seat. You know, I think a lot of the anxiety inducingness of this film is because you have two shots, you have wide open like landscape shots. And then you have close quarter shots like in the hotel room or in that office. Like when the, like the real like anxiety and the real like killing happens or anything, it's like, it's just right there. It's tense. It's contained. You can see every single wall. You're like, I can't get out of this. And then it just opens wide just yeah. opens so wide. I think it's so cool. And the fact that like most movies we talked about up until this point, one of our biggest things that we talk about is the score. 
we talk about score yeah. a lot and how it's almost needed to drive the film around, but this one doesn't have one. It's non-existent. The only music in this whole entire film is when Moss wakes up and there's that mariachi band playing for maybe six seconds. And other than that, <laughs> that's it. That's all you get. And I think it was, it like added to the chase and like it really like immersed you in this film and you were worried the whole time from the first time I said the second time around knowing kind of how things work out, you're kind of like not as tense. But when I remember first watching, I was like, Holy shit. So something that we've seen in, in all the Coen brothers movies that we've watched so far is like a lot of these characters have a moral complexity to them. Um, and so one of the first things that I noticed uh, that I did not remember when I was watching this was when Josh Brolin comes upon the shootout in the desert at the beginning of the movie, there's a, there's kind of a, it's funny because he asked the guy who the last man standing is. It's he's the only guy left alive, and uh, the guy keeps asking for water, and he doesn't have any on him. But he also seems to, in the moment, not care about this guy at all. And so I was, I was immediately kind of like, oh, so like, maybe I don't remember this right. Maybe you're not supposed to really root for anyone in this movie. You know, maybe they're all kind of. They, have, they all have their own selfish kind of, you know, tendencies or whatever. Yeah, and I then, don't think you really. And there, and it is true. Like he is, he is not a perfect character by any means in terms of morals, which is good because you don't want that. But I thought it was so charming and like revealing when the whole reason for this thing kicking off is him going back to give that guy water. And I and I love the exchange between him and his wife where she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm ready to do something really stupid. And he's filling up the, the you know, jug with water. I just thought that it was the whole reason this thing kicks off is it's like this, you know, display of humanity that he's going back to give this guy water. Yeah. But he also took the money from this shootout, you know, so he's got blood money, but he also is going back to take care of this person. And that is perfect kind of duality that i think the coen brothers bring to to these characters you know yeah i mean i don't know back to your earlier point i personally it's weird that i didn't realize it but when you bring it up like i don't think i was rooting for anybody in this film i was just watching a story unfold like you know i guess you kind of feel for brolin because you get his wife you see his wife and everything that he has to live for and you have this hitman chasing him so i think just inherently you want to root for him but at the end of the day i mean he was just as flawed as anybody else involved in it so i mean if you don't root for him that is what it is i guess you i guess you do root for tommy lee jones but you're never really worried about his character except for the moment at the end when he uh comes upon the hotel room where um anton is waiting that's his name correct anton yeah, yeah. Um, you're just like, please, you know, don't let this, it's, it is kind of that thing of like the cop that is like, it's not a cliche, it's not a cliche, but it's kind of a bundle of, of cliches that Tommy Lee Jones, like he just nails it so well that like, he doesn't bother you. It's this cop that is like, not exactly ready to retire, but he's right on the edge. And he does, you know, he gives this monologue at the beginning of the movie, which reminded me of blood simple. Yep so cool that it felt like a bookend to our first episode with the Coen brothers. He gives this monologue at the beginning where he talks about what to expect in death and how, when you sign up for the job, you have to anticipate maybe, you know, uh, 
something happening in your line of work, but that he wasn't ready really to find out was on the other side. And so that, that moment was very tense for me because I, I, you like Tommy Lee Jones' character. You think he, he maybe is the one genuine, very genuine character in it in terms of like, he's just trying to, he's just trying to live his life and, and like, he's at the end of his career and he's ready to go off into the sunset. But now he's got this, very strange case unfolding in front of him and he can't help but yep. angle himself in it, you know? Yeah, 100%. Man. So his performance was a standout for me. I mean, they were all, every performance in this movie is fantastic. Um, and like uh, the performance of um, uh, Bavier, um Javier Bardem. Oh, Javier Bardem, excuse me. I, I woke up right before we did the show, folks. Um, Javier Bardem's performance, like, I remember seeing, it's so crazy, because I feel like it has lived, um, it has lived for 14 years, like, in pop culture, and I remember when this movie came out, seeing parodies of it, things on, like, SNL or Family Guy or The Simpsons, just references to, you know, call it friendo. Call it And, like, all of the... The very, the extremely strange dialogue, and I think a lot of times, especially that scene where he is in the gas station, I think is probably the scene that most people remember, just because his dialogue is so um, bizarre. It actually made me uncomfortable, and I mean, in a good way, it's probably what they meant for the character, but it's like when you meet, there's these kids in high school um that take everything literally or they mm-hmm. say things or that you have a conversation with someone and they're like, well, what do you mean by that? Yeah, that was you know? definitely a hundred percent in that scene. It was a little, it was definitely like cringy to like watch. You feel for you squirm in your seat and you really feel for that gas station attendant. And it works. I mean, I'm going to show my cards here a little bit. I, I thought I watched this and I thought it was, you know what? This is like a great film, clearly a great film. I was like, I feel maybe that it loses maybe a tiny bit after your first watch. Um, just yeah, like man, it, that's it crazy you to... bring that up. Because before we watched this, I was I was pretty sure that No Country for Old Men, like when we started the season, I was pretty positive that yeah. No Country for Old Men was going to be in my top spot. And like, spoiler, till the end of the episode here, when we do our rankings for season two, it didn't even make the top two. Which is weird. Yeah, I I similarly was expecting as well. Yeah, I'm in the same place. I thought that this was going to rival There Will Be Blood, especially because they were so close to to each other uh, in content and in timeline and everything. I thought I just knew that this was like a close to perfect movie, and I can't even say anything really negative about it. I I do think that there's just something special about watching this movie for the first time. And after that, when you kind of know what's happening and where it's going, it loses um, a lot, man. It really does. You can anticipate things, and it, there's a little bit of yeah, that something lacks a little bit, and it's still very easy for me to watch this and say like, man, this is like so well executed. Um, it's just it's more of a just an enjoyment factor. There yeah. were maybe some 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 scenes that were maybe a little long, uh, long in the tooth, I would say, or some some moments where the pacing's a little bit slow. Um, all of that aside, um, all of this to say, just talking about this movie is making me realize how much I love it. Like having this conversation about how real it made me feel when 
that conversation made me squirm in my seat. Yeah. You know, and I knew I knew the result of that conversation. I knew he was going to be okay, but I still felt so tense about that coin toss. So did I, man. It was a tense no? like situation when you know he's sitting there. He's like, "What time do you close?" And he's like, "We'll be closed now." He's like, "When do you normally close?" He's like, "Dark," and it's like. You're like you're like just let him go. Like uh-huh. this guy, you know, he he has nothing to do with anything. He doesn't need to die. Oh, just none. let him go. Even like at the um, end, you still get that like tense thing when he was like, "Don't put it in your pocket with the rest of them." He's like, then it just yeah. becomes a normal quarter. That was your lucky quarter. And the guy's is like, "Why was this my lucky quarter?" Like why? He says, he says, and he says, "Where should I put it?" And Harry Rodim says, "Anywhere but your pocket. That's or or else it'll become just another coin." it is mm-hmm. and you're just like i hate you like so like i hate like uh like you love it because it's amazing writing and the, the character is so uniquely written but you're like oh this guy is such a uh in that scene he is being a prick to this guy for just for being a prick that's the only reason yep. is to is to just be a prick and that guy has no idea how close he came to, to you know what do you what do i stand to win everything he has no idea how close he came to to losing yep. everything. And something that is, correct me if I'm wrong, but I I, I don't think so. But something that really um, really struck me watching this this time because I did not remember the outcome of this is not knowing what happens to Josh Brolin's wife. Yeah, um, she refuses to call it and cuts to Javier leaving and he's hit gets hit by the car i think you could probably presume that he killed her based on his um you know based on his his line of thinking and his he has a procedure for these kinds of things as long as she didn't see Um, him though if she didn't see him there then she's probably not dead possibility i just he doesn't seem like the forgiving type um but he does offer her the coin toss which was which was interesting and, and cool. Um, More than he offered, I believe you have my stapler guy. And he just busts <laughs> yeah. in and shoots him right in the neck. Yeah. Yep. I knew his what name. What a great two. I knew his what name. A, I gotta. Is... I gotta give him credit because he's in a lot of stuff. I knew his name before. What this is? He's in a lot. Oh, Stephen Root. That's who it is. He's in a lot of movies. Oh yeah. Yeah, Stephen Root. So I, I again, this is my brain lagging and catching up. Uh, I didn't realize you were referencing Office Space. I was like, was there a scene in this movie where a guy oh, has somebody yeah. stapler and he killed? Uh, no, I was referencing. <laughs> but Office yeah, Space. no, he he kills he kills Stephen Root, uh, who's in he's in Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Um, also, obviously, Office Space, uh, Get Out, Get Out, um, yeah. King of the King of the Hill, um, plays a creepy man. Role in Get Out, his role in Get Out is disturbing. I. Yeah, I want to. I would like to do, and we'll, we'll get into that someday. We'll do a. That's an after the movies thing. Maybe someday we'll do. Maybe around the maybe around the Halloween season, we'll do a, a horror month or something, and we'll do some some director free stuff. But, um, what a unique way to kill people. First of all, even the shotgun with the with the like the spray like the silencer is wild. Um, and this movie is is very it's like little bouts of very intense violence uh like a lot of there's it'll go for a while until there is a 
um, you know, they are close to each other and there is a shootout or something. And then there's just like, boom, three people died in the, in the past, like two minutes and it's bloody. And then it, the movie just goes back into its normal pace. Um, but the compressed air gun, this almost felt like horror adjacent to me when this movie came out. Uh, and not that this movie is, but like the first time I saw it being a 13 year old, that was such an inventive way have someone kill somebody in such a smart strategic way to have somebody kill some somebody um it really it still sticks with me it's just such a such an inventive choice you know yeah it was cool i liked it, it was neat yeah. Yeah. Hey, man. um this movie wrestles with like a lot of the same i i like that this is the last episode of our season because this is a theme in movies that we see or a theme that we've seen in the Coen Brothers movies all the time. This reminded me most of Blood Simple, which we watched at the beginning of the, the season. But there's also themes, you know, Raising Arizona does it way more comedically, but there's also themes of, like, fate, coincidence in that movie, um, and what you are, you feel entitled to, and what you are meant born to be, and whether you can change that. Yeah. Um, and the and the other big one that I would draw, uh, just based on the crime element and based on those themes, uh, a movie we didn't watch for this season, but that that I would highly recommend everyone should watch, uh, Fargo. This reminded me a lot of of Fargo, um, and surprisingly enough, as much as the the Coen Brothers return to that well of themes, I don't their storytelling abilities are so solid. And so well executed that I don't think that these movies feel like they're repeating themselves or anything. They all feel distinctly like a part of their time. The closest it might be is that this does feel almost like an updated version of Blood Simple in setting and in because that movie was filmed in the 80s. Now, here's a movie that actually takes place in the 80s, but was filmed in 2012. Yeah, it comes, and, it comes pretty know. close. Is this the first time? I think it is. It, it was neat. This is the first time that we've had the same actor in two separate directors in a season. Now this is only the second season, so but it's still cool that we had an actor from Paul Verhoeven and also the Cohen brothers. Who's that? Uh Brolin. Oh wow, I didn't even think about wow. In one of the best movies of the season and one of the and ap, I'm not even gonna say one of uh, if you if we get to our rankings and, and Hollow Man isn't at the bottom of your list, I might have to quit the show. One yeah. absolutely the the turd in the punch bowl of the season. It's not at uh, the bottom of my list though. It's not? No. Wow. You have to wait I'm and shocked. See, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> what did we watch that was worse than Hollow Man? You have to wait, and see. Uh, have to wait okay. and see our rankings. I think I know what it is. I know what it is. Should we get into it? I mean, what else? I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we want to cover I, about No Country for Old Men. I think we did a good job covering it. I think we talked about we had both of our like analyses and what we and what we thought on that. Um, but yeah, let's roll into the rankings, man. I'd love to. I'd love to hear All your right. rankings first, and then we'll yeah. we'll hear my blasphemous rankings. Absolutely. Um, okay. So um, and I so again, this movie. I think it's going to be interesting going into these rankings because. I don't think these ended up the way that I thought they were for me. me and I think yeah. that you said, yeah, the same. Um, so, but this, I would still say no country for old men is, is I'm just going to say it's a definite recommend from both of us, especially if you haven't seen it. 
Um, you know, we struck, uh, we chose good, we chose a good director, two good directors, but not two different good directors. I don't want to, uh, before the season wraps up, I do want to clear uh, the air. I think that Paul Verhoeven is an excellent director. I think that he really lost, he didn't lose focus. I think he got sucked into doing a movie that even he is quoted to say that he wish he never did. And I don't want to discredit Paul Verhoeven at all because RoboCop was a great movie. Star and then Starship Troopers is fun. I remember watching that as a kid. And even Total Recall is good, which we didn't end, end up doing. And honestly, I wish we did Total Recall and skipped Hollow Man. But we, I mean, we ended up living in a world because we both saw Total Recall pretty oh, recently, right? Exactly. But and not I like recently that's... enough to like watch it again. So we were in that weird spot. And then everything else after. Like before Hollow Man, like, and then after, like, he kind of gets off the rails a little bit. And the reason why we took it off is because L was a French film and it was subtitles. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We just watched Train to Busan, which is an excellent, which is an excellent movie. And that's all subtitles, a South Korean film. Nothing wrong with that. But just the way the season was going, we needed a little pep up. We needed to kind of like tie everything together because it's kind of going all over the place. So, yeah. And, I think it worked out. I don't think we could have thought of a better one-two punch than there will be blood in this movie. Um, Truly. And I also think for what it's worth, um, even Starship Troopers, which see, uh, but I, I think that people who haven't seen that movie before, there's something that you can still get from that movie. If you haven't seen it before. Um, But without further ado, my rankings for the season. I'm going to start at number 10 and go down and make my way down to number one. So for me, the worst movie we watched this season was Hollow Man. Um, just an outlier in terms of quality and in terms of a a plot that tries to do the Verhoeven thing in terms of like, let's, let's talk about morality and let's talk about what you would do if you were invisible. And then just takes it too far in in the areas of uh weird gross molester stuff that is just uh in the hands of a more competent director not i shouldn't say that in the hands of a director that maybe was passionate about the project maybe could have been handled better um and here i just don't think it really works number nine for me uh this is shocking and i I hope this (laughs) i'm worried i'm gonna upset you again (laughs) oh brother where art thou number nine for me um, my least favorite of the Coen Brothers films that we watched for this season. A first watch for me. A perfectly charming film. Uh, a movie that I really enjoyed watching. Different fil- different feel than the rest of the movies we watched. We described this as a Saturday, Sunday morning kind of movie. Um, it felt a little bit going to church. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but in a nostalgic way that is enjoyable and you get to see George Clooney sing and dance and the performances are fun, so I think that I maybe just don't have the history with this one that some people do, um, and that's okay because I still enjoyed it. Uh, and like from here on out, I mean, these are movies that I would recommend seeing. So, number eight for me is No Country for Old Men, because uh-huh. um, I again finished it. We watched it the other night. I said this is a great movie but I don't know that I feel the need to return to this often um, because no, it I think is that very... that's a, I think it's a last watch for me. I think it's a last watch. I don't think I'm going to watch it again. 
It's know? interesting. I, it's very impactful. I think maybe if you were watching it with someone else for the first time, that could be pretty interesting and fun. Um, but I happen to feel that out of the movies that we've watched from the Coen brothers that explore these same themes, um, think that there are other Coen brothers movies that we'll get to that have more of an endless rewatchability. There's yeah. one in particular that I think I could watch on a monthly basis. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about it. So number four for me or number four, excuse me, number seven, Starship Troopers. Um, a movie I enjoyed more than you, but admit uh, that this also loses a lot of its charm mm-hmm. uh, uh, when you revisit it. It is a great movie for teenagers who are learning what fascism is. Yeah. Um, and it, it is can be fun to revisit in parts still. Um, parts of it work. Parts of it definitely don't. And it kind of feels like two different halves of, of it's like you took two movies and spliced them together. Um, but still, even with all of the spotty social commentary stuff, which is well-intentioned, but maybe doesn't land. I think it's a solid action sci-fi movie, but I still think that it is, it pales in comparison to um, the other Verhoeven film that we watched this season that I think is just an excellent Excellent movie in that camp. Um, number six for me is going to be The Big Lebowski, um, which I love and enjoy very much and has a very nostalgic place in my heart. And um, I don't know what I can say about The Big Lebowski that hasn't already been said other than it is a comfort movie. It's like when I don't know what I'm hungry for and I pour myself a bowl of cereal, um, this is like, I don't know what to watch or I don't know what I'm in the mood for. It's something that I can just throw on. And I know it through and through, and it makes me happy. It's a great film. Um, there were some more surprises, though. I think this is maybe not even a ranking in terms of, like, quality or in terms of objective ranking, but there's some other movies this season that surprised me. Yeah. those That's why they're getting kind of top billing. So um, number five for me, the best Paul Verhoeven film that we watched and maybe his best film in, in what I've seen, RoboCop. Um, this movie is great, a great action sci-fi film that is surprisingly, um, in this, in these wild and crazy times and these divided times, it is a movie that satirizes, uh, the problems with authority and capitalism and a lot of issues that people are obviously still dealing with 40 years later. Um, and it's not like the smartest movie in the world or anything, but I think it is what Verhoeven does best, which is if you took all that stuff out, this would still be a really fun sci-fi action movie. Yeah. But a pinch of that stuff on top and it ages well, surprisingly, good stuff. Um, so number four is going to be blood simple, a movie that I watched for the first time during quarantine. Um, the Coen brothers first film. And this is maybe, this is kind of where that comes in where it's like, maybe not the fourth best movie out of this whole group of movies, but I was so interested in seeing what they did first. Um, and so pleasantly surprised with it and seeing where they started and knowing where they end up that I just think that this is a one that may be easy to overlook. Um, because it's not a well-known Coen Brothers movie, um, but I would highly recommend that if you're like a Coen Brothers fan, 
are a fan of the other movies on this list and you really like their writing and stuff, it's absolutely worth a watch. Um, just kind of lays the groundwork for the rest of the movies we watched this season. Um, number three for me, Ruby Blood. I think this movie is near perfect. Um, and it makes me want to do a Paul Thomas Anderson season. 100%. That's, that's all I really have to say. It's a, it is a masterpiece in movies that you watch when you are younger and you go, I don't know what's happening. I know it's good. And then you revisit it like five years later and you go, oh, it's really good. And it doesn't need to be super complex or have a thousand characters to be good. It can just be a super compelling story. Yep. Um, you don't have to love oil men of the 1930s to watch this movie. And but boy, do and I. Like, but boy, do I. <laughs> but it helps. But sure hey, it does help. New, new Lomo t-shirt. You don't have to be an oil man from the 1930s, dot, 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 on the back. But it sure helps. But it sure helps. Um, number two for me, a personal favorite movie of mine. Again, probably not the second best movie that we watched this season, but goddamn, do I love WNUF Halloween special. It is just a, it is a, another movie that I can throw on anytime I want. It is a perfect party movie. I put it on the background. People can pay attention to it or not. They're like, this is weird. What is this? It, it the look and feel of it are unmatched. I don't know anything else. I don't own anything else in my collection that makes me feel quite as nostalgic uh, as this movie does. Yeah. And I just think that it is unique uh, to everything that we've watched so far. And it actually has more of a connection to our next season, which we'll talk about, which sure I'm does. excited for. Which means my number one movie of the season. I'm sorry to rant for 10 minutes, but uh, my number one movie of the season, Raising Arizona, a movie that I watched thought this is a perfect this is a five-star film this is the most fun i've had watching a movie in so long i can't remember can't remember like having this much fun watching another movie like, even like any like new movies movies suck <laughs> i'm learning that mo i'm learning quickly that movies suck but this one doesn't this one is it, it is you could describe it, it, it. It's for everyone, because you go to you go to somebody who doesn't care about film, and you say, "You want to watch a movie where Nicolas Cage kidnaps a baby, and he's married to a parole officer, and there is a biker from hell that is chasing after them to get the baby back." And they go, "That sounds crazy. I would watch that." And then you go to a film snob, and you say, "Do you want to watch?" a Coen Brothers film where Nicolas Cage steals a baby and a biker from hell chases them to get the baby back. And the, fil the film snob says, yes. So this movie is just for everyone. I can't recommend it enough. It is so much fun. The writing is just so quick and funny and it, all of the jokes hit. It is quick, quickly paced. Um, the performances are great. The writing is stellar. I saying sing enough praises for this film so without without uh you know that's it i i it's love this movie five stars from aaron for raising arizona best film of the season for me yeah jimmy take it away 
I want to clarify why I was laughing so hard because I'm very curious. I was very curious. There's a couple of times in all of our podcasts where you go, oh, I'm sorry for rambling. But if anybody tunes into a podcast, they're like, damn, these guys talk a lot. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't know what you're doing. I just don't want to. I just don't want to suck the air. Like out if of you're the, like, damn, these guys talk a lot. Talk. <laughs> it's like, what do you expect? Maybe. maybe Maybe we got some low fans out there, some Jimmy fans that, that listen for your voice and then they skip when I talk. And they just get to that point where I'm giving my list and they skip five minutes and they're like, oh, this is still talking. They keep skipping and skipping. Ladies and gentlemen, right. it's time. It's time for the lows me- list. And was it just an, was was it all just a ploy to get you to uh, this point in the episode of me saying that Hollow Man was, was not at the bottom? Was it a ploy? I think I know what it was. I don't think you do. So before I go into these rankings, I have to say that these are strictly about my enjoyment levels in watching them. These are not rated on technic- like technical aspects, story, sometimes story, but it's about how I felt when we watched these. So there are some weird ones, but it's about how I felt and my reaction afterwards, kind of on not that day. I just feel like that's the best way to do it. Uh, considering that there was only one movie on this list that I actually did not like. The rest of them were either the rest of them. I really enjoyed or would just, eh, they were okay, which is only like one on my list ends up being the okay. So without further ado, my, the worst film we watched this season is W and no, I'm just kidding. It's hollow, man. It's hollow, man. Hollow man is. The- I was, I was like, <laughs> no, Jimmy, what are you? No. Getting real sweating for yeah. season three. No, uh, Hollow Man, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it was clickbait to get you to the end of your Hollow Man was the absolute worst movie and the only movie that we watched in season two where I did not enjoy it and I could not wait for it to be over. Number nine on my list is my okay movie is Starship Troopers. And there's a lot of people. I got a little flack for my take on Starship Troopers from some people. But what I have to say is, is I, it, 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 it was a victim of time is what yeah. happened. I really enjoyed I this movie. Like, yeah. Oh, you're good. What were you saying? I just think that if you're going to go to bat for a, a smart movie, don't go to bat for Starship no, Troopers. No, there's, there's no need for it. Watch it before you go to bat for Starship Troopers, you know? Number eight on my list is kind of surprising for to me when I did this list because I really really enjoy this movie and I think it's a great movie um is Blood Simple which is crazy it ended up down there but it just like I said I don't know it just I think it might have been the day or the way I watched it I don't know you watched it during the day and it's a slow film yeah and you know I just think obviously they they get better the Coen brothers you know got better with their craft with all with each of these movies so it makes perfect sense but it still is a really good movie and i recommend it being not this low on the list there's just a lot of other ones that i enjoyed ahead of it number seven uh that's how that works that's how connie works is robocop um i really enjoyed this movie as well but the ones above it are just a little bit better in my opinion as far as enjoyment levels so that's all i got to say six is oh brother um good film i think i'm i think this one is on its last watch for me too i think after the second time i've seen it i'm kind of like it's lost it's sheen it's lost it's luster yeah. for me and i'm kind of done with it really good movie i like it i think it's got that nostalgia feel 
But uh, yeah, that's where that's at. Number five is actually probably could have ended up being higher on the list as far as like, depending on what was going on, is WNUF Halloween special. I really enjoyed this movie. I think it was well done. And uh, the way that uh, we watched it was absolutely so cool. We sat up on my deck and watched it. And like, that's like an experience so that you just can't get. Number four is the most surprising one to me. It's coming in. It's going to be No Country for Old Men. Just because the second time watching it, it's just, uh, just not there the second time. A really good movie. One of my favorite movies of all time. But watching it a second time, I was kind of like, yeah. And kind of like caught myself like drifting off during parts or like doing something else. Number three is probably one of those memorable movies that anybody will ever watch in The Big Lebowski. Number two, which honestly, I thought this was going to be lower on the list when we put it in, in here, but I absolutely loved it, is There Will Be Blood. I think this movie is outstanding. Wow. This makes me so excited that our number ones are... Coming in at number up. one, one of the funniest movies and best movies I've watched in a long time. My My man... Nick Cage, Raising Arizona, ladies and gentlemen. Raising Arizona. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Great movie. So cool. So glad that happened. So without a doubt, if you're going to watch one movie mm-hmm. this season that we that we covered, watch Raising Arizona. Um, and, and if you're going to watch nine, watch the rest of them. and if you're going to watch nine movies, <laughs> don't watch Hollow Man. <laughs> yep. Yep. Easy, easy, easy to say. Um, Easy decision. Um, what a great season. I feel what it, so what did we learn? We learned I learned the Cohen brothers are maybe my favorite writers, I think, in film. The way that they write characters, just dialogue. Like the 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 back and forth is does this thing where here's what I'm gonna say. This will be my hot take, and maybe someday we'll do a Wes Anderson season, but so in my mind, a lot of the times, I group Wes Anderson along with the Coen brothers. And I feel like they are similar levels of kind of these um, these film snob. I don't want to say that, but it feels like they were at a same a similar level in terms of like film fans love movies from these two directors. And I am not the biggest Wes Anderson fan in the world uh, because um, I think... The quirky stuff kind of bugs me a little bit. The, like, his movies, the the quirky... All of the characters have their own little quirks. And it makes it... It's just kind of, like, annoying to me and kind of grating. I think I've fallen... Um, I think, I, honestly, I hate to say this, but I think I've fallen asleep during more Wes Anderson movies than I care to admit. Yeah. It's just... I don't know. How many times can you see, like, Owen Wilson and Bill Murray and, like salmon colored shorts uh speaking in french and all these movies like, are this is exciting all of his movies are like you're flipping a book too which is cool but also too there's only a couple times where anyways that's a whole nother we don't need to talk yeah about we'll this. get into some i guess so a lot of times when people talk about wes anderson sometimes i frame myself as a like i i am more of a coen brothers fan because i think they do the quirky thing they create these characters but they don't feel like they are uh, like animated drawings or 2D objects that are just propped up. They feel like well-developed, unique characters and the way that they interact with each other and, and the way they're written. I mean, I I think that 
Wes Anderson is kind of the style over substance where Coen brothers are substance and style in equal measure a lot of the time. I agree. I think they hit that sweet spot for me. So, so that's my big takeaway from them is, um, is just writing tips and how to write characters and dialogue and make sure that the characters are thoroughly developed and are not just uh, little, little props in your thing. I think characters sometimes, uh, more important than plot, which sounds like a crazy thing to say, but a lot of times these movies, I mean, look at No Country for Old Men. The plot is secondary to the way the characters are. The plot is almost just a way to get the characters to interact with each other. Yeah. Because it's so simple. It's just a hitman trying to retrieve this money from someone who stole it. But the the reason that you show up and watch the movie is for the di- for Javier Bardem's dialogue and his performance, for these characters, you know, and their performances. So, and um, what, what would what would you say? What would you take away from the Coen brothers? I think so. When we we talk about our takeaways at the end of the season, obviously. Um, but it's hard to think of just like one thing that I want to take take away. But I think at the end of the day, it's making sure that like all of your characters have like a motive. And I don't need motive in like the writing school term of motive i just mean like they have like an objection or an objective sorry in the film and you kind of write everything else around your characters they kind of seem like they build the characters for a story second which i think is cool i really like the way that they develop characters and i think that's crucial as we continue our journey as creators and filmmakers that we really take time and understand who our characters are and like what motivates them as individuals, as like real people. I agree completely. I can't even think of another movie that is so synonymous with its lead character than the big Lebowski. Yep. And how that movie, that movie is uh, a plot about a guy that gets wrapped uh, as they usually are. Cause they love irony. It's a plot about a guy that gets wrapped up in something that he has nothing to do with, but it feels more like, so they have this plot and then they create this character that is just, uh, everyone, people who don't, people who haven't seen The Big Lebowski recognize the robe, yeah. the white Russian, the the look. I mean, it's, it's crazy, you know? Um, so, and then Paul Verhoeven, I just think it's interesting that we did these two directors at the same time because he feels a world away in terms of genre. Um, but I think what I learned from him is not a do or a don't, but it is an observation. And that is the way that, like I said, he loves to, via Starship Troopers and via Robocop, he loves to incorporate social commentary. Um, and sometimes he does it very well, and sometimes he doesn't do it well at all. Yeah. So I think that, you know, again, it's not something I learned how to do or not to do, but it's something what I learned was not to be too heavy-handed um, and to have probably just to make sure that, like, people around me um, are constantly checking me and my writing and stuff to be like, is this too on the nose? You know, Um, don't assume your audience is dumb, you know, let them figure some things out for themselves because those movies are fun to watch, but they are cartoony. It is kind of in your face. And I think that it's maybe would be more fun. Starship Troopers would be a lot more, I think successful and would have aged better if it wasn't just, um, so in your face about its message. Yeah, you know, I agree. Um, 
but I think the movie I learned the most from was WNUF and just uh, reserving a, the, a, an original film that was made for $1,500. I agree, man. I think that was the, definitely the one. That's my biggest takeaway because that's closest to where we're at is WNUF. Yeah. That's like, that's where we're Absolutely. at. We're at the WNUF level. We're not at RoboCop or, you know, oh. No Country for Old Men, but and we're we at can, like the Blood yeah, Simple right. the WNUF level, which is cool. We can take lessons from these movies, you know, um, but to know you take lessons from these movies till the cows come home. If you write a movie that we can't make, yep. it doesn't really matter. And so to see an original movie be made for $1,500 to observe a, a fresh narrative device, I think for me, a, a fresh framing device, I hadn't seen in other movies before. Um, it kind of, it, balances on the found footage line but it is different than found footage you don't ask yourself why are these people still recording this or anything the idea that somebody the blank tape in went to bed taped this halloween special or whatever and then mm. how this tape has preserved for so many years is just so much fun um and it gives and it, it also i think has to do with the way that we're filming even sketches and shorts right now um, that movie gives them an outlet to have a movie that is essentially only maybe an hour long and then to cut it up with these fake advertisements and commercials and have things that add to the movie um, and, and puff out the runtime yeah, that are enjoyable that. to watch. I so. love that. I think my takeaway from Verhoeven before we start closing up our season uh, finale here is you talk about it from like a writer perspective. And that's, I think a lot of our viewers know from now, like you're the, like the writing guy and I'm more of like the director kind of like overseeing Definitely. things. So I took Verhoeven. What I'm taking back from him is like, it's not always a good idea to do something for the money. Yeah. And absolutely. I think it's like, you know, he made a, I'm saying this, I don't know, I didn't look up on it, but Hollow Man was, like, a very big, like, money grab. It had Kevin Bacon right in the front of it. Like, you look at the poster, and you know that, like, there was a lot of money involved in making this film. And even after the fact, like, Verhoeven kicks himself for even doing this film. And I don't want to be, I don't want to ever kick myself because I did a film for money. And I lost touch about, like, what I truly love and why I started this in the whole point, the whole beginning, so... Oh, it feels like the opposite of a passion project. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels like somebody turning in their homework and copied it from someone else, but yeah. made it just different enough that you're like, okay, maybe, maybe Paul Verhoeven did this, you know? Yeah. Um, so let's talk about season three. We got some interesting things going on. Thank you so much. If you are a fan of the show, um, if you watched through this season, we really appreciate it. We appreciate the shares um, if you would like to join us on Patreon, we'll do a, just a quick plug. We have added a $3 tier that gives you access to the Discord. Um, it gives you a lot of bonus stuff in terms of what we're filming. Yep. And it also gives you the ability to watch the movies that we're watching for at the movies and after the movies right along with us. So um, less than a cup of coffee a month, it would be helping us out. We're right on the verge of filming a short film. So it would be just very nice uh, if anybody had the money and would like to support us. That's a great way to do it. Um, and that being said, it's a perfect transition into what we wanted to do with season three. And this was your pitch. Um, and it's a very fun and exciting idea. So I want you to I want to hear about where did this come from and, and what yeah. are we doing? 
Yeah, one second though for our audio listeners, that's gonna be patreon.com slash lomo media. Yes. Yep. Uh, anybody that's interested. So yeah, man, season three. I'm so excited for this. Um so it's crazy, like when I think about this, I really and I'm not saying like we obviously don't have the platform where like we're yet, you know, like eventually we will and that's what we're working for. We don't have the platform yet where like we would review a sh- like an independent film and then like all of our viewers are going to go out and it's going to get like this big traction and it's going to get this like resurgence. We don't have the plat plat of this platform yet, but eventually we will and that's what we're working towards. But what else are, are we working towards? We're working on making an like a film company, an independent film company for ourselves and doing everything we're doing. Everything we do is independent. We're doing it ourselves. We're not, we don't bring in anybody. We don't like, we don't go to like producers. We make our own shows. We make our own web series. We make our own film. So I was like, why, why not take a show that we love doing? Let's analyze these independent films as we make our first short. Why not? Absolutely. I think it's just a beautiful idea as 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 we film our first short as a company we're watching these independent films and we got some great ones and it might change so we're not really going to give you we'll give you a week's notice on yeah, what film, um, so you, you can watch them on like season one and two where we let you know the whole entire season and there were some surprises along the way we'll give you a week's notice on what film we're watching next and where you can watch them it'll be 10 different directors um, and what I'll say is that we've got locked in. We have two local films, uh, local meaning directors that I believe, and actually I believe one of the directors at some point was local to Pittsburgh as well as Erie. Um, and I think that they are now in New York. Um, but we have a, a director that is has some ties to Erie, which is where I live. Um, as well as, and, and we have another director with ties to Erie. Uh, so we have two guests and films that are local locked in. We are working on getting a Pittsburgh film uh, on the season. And these episodes, the reason I'm coming out, I'm not going to tell you what the movie is or what, who they are yet, um, but the reason that I am bringing this up is because we would love to feature more of these uh, films that are actually independent because the way that we kind of approached this was we, we asked people to send us their films and we got a few responses. And uh, so it's exciting to have those, those three episodes in particular um, being lined up and they are kind of based on the availability of the director um, so that we can talk to them about it. But uh, because we are operating on a week to week basis, the roll call is not over yet. So what we have right now is seven films that are, from a list of the top independent films of the 21st century um, all within the past 10 years we decided would be the time frame and there is a surprise film as always uh, that breaks that rule uh, but it isn't an independent film still it's just from a little bit earlier so um, we have seven films picked out but we would love to show your film on at the movies so if you are an independent filmmaker or you know someone who is um, please get a hold of us on social media. Um, we are very responsive and you can email us at contactlomomedia at gmail.com. Let's set something up because we want to showcase your movie. We want to watch your movie. We want to talk to you about it and we want to get our, our fan base uh, that is still growing. Uh, we want to, you know, share that platform and, and be able to platform some, some great up and coming artists. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a great season. I'm excited. I picked some, we picked some movies that are a lot of fun and they range in genres and they range in uh, diversity in terms of directors because that's something that we haven't really had yet. We've talked about the Coen brothers and Paul Verhoeven and Gorsese um, and Cronenberg. So we wanted to shake it up a little bit and, and just make sure that everyone's getting a turn. And I think that we picked some really interesting movies and I hope that we get some more interesting movies from you guys. And also, too, before season three, it will not be airing next week because we are taking a week off. Vacation, all I ever wanted. Jimmy's going home, baby. He's going home for a little bit. And uh, I'm just going to I'm going to keep watching movies, but they're not going to be for the pod. We're going to keep doing other stuff that we have going on. It's not like it's a vacation. There's still a lot more to do at Lomo HQ that we'll keep the but we just the way that the recording's working out. And I'm going to take a little break between seasons just in case there's some last minute directors that want to get their independent films in. We're going to start promoting. We'll do a week of promotion again and then we'll kind of roll into uh, what season or what episode one of season three will be, as always, we'll give you a week's notice on what we're watching and where you can watch it. Okay. Does that mean that we're not announcing episode one? Should I hold, be tight lipped? Hold it. Hold it. Held. Hold it. Held. Just All in right. case. Folks, that's it. Thank you so much again for joining us for this season. Had a ton of fun as always. Think we learned a lot. Um, a show that is near and dear to my heart as we, especially as we move into uh, filming a short film of our own. So um, I hope that other people are enjoying this as much as we are. And I can't wait to see what kind of different stuff we can get into next season. So oh, yeah, buddy. That's all I got. That's all I got too, everybody. Thanks for sticking around and watching and, or listening this longer ep- episode, but much needed. And we'll catch you all in season three, maybe.